Hi everyone. Welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm Ishwarya, your host for this episode. And I'm Aryan. Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Patreon and subscribe for amazing exclusive features like merch, awesome extra episodes, early access episodes, video calls with us and more. To help the podcast out and to avail these benefits, go to www.patreon.com/desicrime and select a tier that works best for you. We'd also like to thank our newest patrons, Divya, Tara C, Anushka, Tejasvi, and Sid K. Any contribution you've made means the world to us. The episode we have for you today is all the way from Nepal. The story of a young girl with dreams and aspirations and goals and hobbies and a life like any of ours. A girl with a loving, doting family that had moved across cities and states for the sake of their daughter's future. Until that one fateful day in 2009 when this young girl got a phone call that changed her life. Then her parents got a phone call that shattered their lives and snatched every bit of happiness right from under their feet forever. This is the story of that young girl and those two phone calls. This is the story of Khyati Shreshta. It's always a terrifying setup when something as meek as a phone call is responsible for changing somebody's lives, right. you know, forever. And in this case, not one person's, but an entire family's, and not one phone call, but two phone calls. So you you've got me hooked from the beginning, <laughs> and to you know make it even more uh, curious, it's all the way from Nepal and a country that bewilders me. So what is this case about? You're right. This is a case from Nepal. So this one actually specifically goes out to all of our listeners from Nepal. After the episode on the Nepalese royal massacre, we're bringing you this, and we hope you like it. Hey now, hey now! Don't forget, even you and I covered a case from Nepal. The <laughs> Nepalese prime minister that hijacked a plane. So, that's you true. Know. That's true. We've yeah, done a few yeah, yeah. from Nepal. How dare you? Yes. <laughs> this is our most recent one for you all, and we really hope you enjoy. Before we dive into this case though before I tell you who Khyati is and what was said on those two phone calls on the 5th of June 2009 we'd like to remind all of you desi listeners that the desi crime podcast family has grown and it wouldn't have happened without you all we've partnered with Lost Debate which is a media startup based out of New York and not only have they invested in us they launched the Lost Debate podcast and youtube show for political nerds who want more nuance from the news and a good faith look at the issues if you're interested in all kinds of news with a nuanced lens go to the lost debate for an unbiased understanding of american politics wherever you get your podcasts now let me take you to kathmandu in nepal in the year 2008 among the 800000 some residents of kathmandu there lived a man named biren prathan 
Birin was actually Indian by origin, having migrated to Kathmandu in Nepal 20 years ago from Darjeeling in the state of West Bengal in India to work as a biology teacher in the Ardarsh Vidya Mandir school in the capital. Birin had grown up in a middle-class family in India and coming to Nepal was his new start, a new beginning to his life where he hoped to make more money, rise up the ranks in his school and hopefully live a life more luxurious than the one he had grown up living in Darjeeling. And by 2009, 20 years after he had moved to this new country, it seemed like 43-year-old Birin was making headway. And by almost every standard, Nepal is a beautiful country. It's home to 8 out of the 10 of the world's tallest mountains. It's a popular tourist destination for religious pilgrims since it's the birthplace of Gautam Buddha and also for adventurers alike. And here is where Birin was going to start his new life. In typical smart investor fashion, Birin now owned a house with multiple rooms which he had rented out to multiple families as an extra source of income. On the side, he also met with young students in need of tuitions and coached them in the subjects that he taught at school. And by 2009, a loving and caring family had moved into one of Birin's apartments, the Shreshtha family. Gopal and Radha Shreshtha had moved from their hometown in Biratnagar, 300 kilometers away from the capital, to the capital in Kathmandu to help their daughter, 19-year-old Khyati, fulfill her childhood dream of becoming a pilot. She wanted to go abroad to get her flying training and her license. After doing very well academically in the 10th grade, she had managed to gain admission into the prestigious Jubilant College Research Centre in Kathmandu and so the family decided they were going to move for her sake, rent an apartment close to the college and shift their lives for a few years till she became her own person. To any American Western listener of our podcast, this would be, you know, sort of weird that an entire family upends where they live uh, to move near where their child is studying. But it's not that uncommon for a family to move closer to their child, whether it's something like going to a coaching institution in Kota, which is in India, or, or moving close to their new college. It's a it's a very common thing. Yeah, you know, I've not thought about common. it, but it's actually weird, weirdly common in India for a family to do something like that. No, you're absolutely right. There's countless examples of people like this in my life who've completely uprooted their lives, their jobs and moved around for the sake of their child. I think because of how much emphasis we put on education yeah. and raising yeah, yeah, our yeah. children, it comes from a cultural place like that. And Khyati was proving her parents' decision to be every bit useful. Their daughter was academically bright, yet socially outgoing. She excelled academically, yet found a deep passion in dance. She had friends, she had a social life, she was confident in her abilities, and she had her eyes set on her aims, for which her parents had already started collecting money. They were sure they were going to send their daughter outside to a foreign country, just like she wanted to. She deserved it. The apartment that the Shreshtha family decided to rent when they moved for Khyati belonged to Birain, located in the Balaju district of Kathmandu. In fact, Birain Pradhan's last name was also Shreshtha, indicating a joint sort of community tie for Birain and the Shreshtha family. They had some common ancestral cultural link to each other and that in South Asian communities creates links of sorts. It creates trust and bonding, which is what happened here. Slowly, over the course of their one year in that apartment, the family grew closer to Birain. 
He would come home, give Kyati tuitions for her classes at school. He knew of her aspirations to go abroad and how hard the family had worked to collect the money for her. He would come eat with the family, talk to Gopal about his own life and his job, and soon he was an insider. But a year into living in Biren's house, something changed in Biren's life. He needed more money. So he told everyone living in his house that he was planning to sell it. He gave them all a notice. They all moved out, including the Shrestha family. And they thought their contact with Biren was over now. They moved into an apartment closer to Khyati's college. And Biren moved to a new locality in the capital too. Then... On the 5th of June 2009 at 8 a.m., Khyati received a message on her phone. She had won a random lucky draw held by a very reputed women's magazine called Voice of Women, which told her that not only had she won 20,000 Nepali rupees, which is about 12,500 Indian rupees or 150 US dollars, but she had also won a ticket to one of Nepal's most gorgeous tourist destinations, a city called Pokhara. Khyati responded to that message saying she was interested. She told her family about the opportunity and they didn't seem to have a problem. Khyati was a pretty girl after all. She had never had issues being noticed or getting attention, so it didn't seem completely out of the ordinary in her family. After Khyati responded, she then received a call. Ashwarya, I have grown up um in the yahoo the early yahoo years um and i am <laughs> yes. all too aware of the nigerian prince emailing me a 100000 inheritance oh Lord, uh, and really? coca cola saying i have won a lucky draw for million dollars so things like this oh my god yeah, that has oh, never happened, happened to me, me. I, i mean i remember my mom got this email and the entire family was called and we were celebrating so i mean I I'm I'm just aware of scams <laughs> like these being way too common and this is 2009 so this was a phone call it's certainly separate different from an email but I, uh, I you know I feel wary about something like this So you think it's not completely unjustified for them to believe this and think it was not suspicious for that time because I'm reading all of I this I think it's unjustified I read the case and I was like oh my god how can you not know this is fake Right I I think it's unjustified I think they should think it's fake because this they was a time think when okay. things like this were very common but on email again getting a call is different from an getting email Getting a call is different So You're I'm right. going to you yeah. know No you're right the call makes a difference because after Khyati responded to the text she received a call and on the other end was a woman the woman informed Khyati of her prize amount asking her if she was interested Khyati said yes and the woman told her to note down an address from where she could come and pick up her prize amount and her ticket that very day at 1 pm in the afternoon This woman told Khyati to come and pick all of this up from a very public street in Kathmandu so maybe that's also hmm. one of the reasons she felt kind of safe with it. Khyati's family decides they send their house help Ram with their daughter to Putli street which is where Khyati had been asked to come. But when Khyati reaches Putli street and meets the female representative from the magazine a young girl just like herself She's told that there's some legal formalities that need to be completed and some forms that Khyati needs to sign before she can be given her prize. This was a young woman, well-dressed and well-spoken, who Khyati felt at ease with. As women, we kind of have a tendency to trust one another, to feel comforted in each other's presence in a way that we don't with men. So I know exactly what she felt that made her trust what she was doing. 
This is when Khyati asks Ram to go back home. She says she'll come back on her own when her work is done. He had no need to wait for that long. She follows this woman to an apartment and inside this apartment as Khyati is filling out the forms she's been given, she gets a call from her parents. She tells them where she is and what she's doing and that she'll be back soon. When she cuts this call though, suddenly from this apartment emerges a man. A man whose face she was all too familiar with. Hours and hours pass since Ram had returned, but Khyati doesn't come back home that evening. Her parents kept calling her over and over again, but no response. Then, that very evening, as her parents were now beginning to panic over their daughter's unknown whereabouts, Ram got a text on his phone, a text that gave him chills down his spine. He went rushing over to Radha and Gopal to tell them what he had just seen. The text said Khyati had been kidnapped. She was being held hostage and she would only be let off when her parents arranged for 10 lakh or 1 million Nepalese rupees. They warned Gopal and Radha that don't inform the police or she will be killed immediately. Gopal and Radha were a simple couple. They had lived a humble and simple life. And now their daughter was kidnapped by God knows who, and if getting her safe meant not going to the police and arranging for some money, they were going to follow that. Aran I've kind of thought about this situation a lot, not just in regards with this case, but in general in my life. This whole your child has been kidnapped but don't go to the police. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know what I would do. Would I go to the police? Would you? Ashwara, I mean, I think you're not alone in having thought of this situation because it's such a basic uh, Hollywood plot line and such a basic yes, conundrum in every Hollywood movie where there's a kidnapping that don't call. Right. I mean, yeah, from rush hour to taken. This is a common theme. So I've thought about it, and I think it really depends on your connections and your class in society. If you're in a lower That's middle class, yeah. middle class family, I think the police is your only option to go. to um but right. if i would think of you know the upper middle class individual or somebody from high society i think they have connections that allow them to bypass 100 or 911 and they have the call of the you know the dcp or the police commissioner and they can find sort of like subverted means of helping their child right. and i think i mean this marks a divide in our society and inequality and in you know access to resources so truth be told it depends entirely on which strata of society you come from in terms of who you will end up calling i think it's very interesting you put it that way because i would have said it's the exact opposite where perhaps richer families would think the police would do them more justice because the pressure on the cops would be higher to perform well for a high profile kidnapping when poorer families would perhaps feel like the odds of the police fumbling the ball with their child's life is much higher but it's interesting no i like your perspective i don't know who's right hmm But you know Aran it's not even just that for Khyati's parents it's not even just about class Khyati's parents had heard countless such stories of kidnappings of young women for money in Nepal they were not uncommon stories by any standard especially back in 2009 According to the Kathmandu Post in an article written in 2021 quote every year thousands of children go missing from different parts of the country However, hundreds never return home, leaving their families in pain and suffering, worrying about their safety. 
every month around 200 to 300 children or up to 10 every day go missing according to government data children go missing when they are separated from their parents or when they forget directions to home or others get kidnapped or trafficked according to the state of children in nepal report in the year 2017 to 2018 2330 children 923 boys and 1407 girls went missing from the country in 2018 to 2019 the number stood at 3422 with 1051 boys and 2371 girls if these statistics are bad The years 2008 and 2009 were particularly bad in Nepal's history and a lot of these kidnappings and cases of young women being trafficked were perpetrated by one specific notorious gang called Terai which operated out of the south of Nepal. Crime in general was at an all-time high and if you remember our episode on the royal massacre it was the year 2008 when Nepal transitioned into being a democratic republic from a Hindu monarchy so it was a politically very tumultuous time too Kathy's parents were terrified their daughter would turn into one of these statistics of missing children that never returned home especially since the text message also mentioned that this kidnapping was in fact by the notorious Terai gang and the police had been unsuccessful in dealing with this gang in the past their influence was deep and tentacles dug far into nepali society and so khyati's parents did it they began working on arranging for the money without informing anyone it took them a few days to arrange the money but this entire time the gang that had kidnapped khyati kept in regular touch with the family which was a relief in some way how ironic right that it is comforting that the kidnappers of your daughter are in regular exactly. communication with you uh. it was relief that they had hopefully not killed her yet relief that the family had managed to convince the gang that they were able to arrange for the money and then would be able to get their daughter back The gang would have absolutely no reason to kill her if they believed the money would come. Now, once the Shreshthas had arranged for the money, they asked for their next set of instructions to bring their daughter back. They were sent on a wild goose chase all across Nepal. Khyati's parents were once told to come to Bootwal, a region 260 kilometers from Kathmandu, but when they reached there, they were told the drop-off location had changed. They now had to come to Chitwan which was 153 kilometers from Bootwal. At Chitwan they were told the location was changed yet again and this time they would have to come to Sanoli which is a small border town. But yet again at Sanoli there was no sign of Khyati or the kidnappers anywhere. From Sanoli they were instructed to cross the border of India and Nepal into Darjeeling and told that that's where they would meet Khyati. But this was yet another lie in this charade. In Darjeeling the family received another message which told them to come to a place called Kakkarbetta which is a province in southeast Nepal. Understandably so by this time the family was exhausted. Over the span of a few days the family had been made to cross the length and breadth of their country and this wasn't a long vacation road trip. They were on the road to bring back their daughter who they only could hope was still kept alive. But this last location was it. When they arrived 12 days after their daughter had been kidnapped, this was the final one. This is where they finally got the message they were waiting for, the address to a hotel. 
This time it was just Khyati's mother Radha and the house help Ram who had come to deliver the money and take back Khyati. They arrived at the hotel a night before the exchange was to take place, but Radha could not believe her eyes when she thought she spotted inside the hotel a face she had seen hundreds of times before. It was the face of a friend, someone the family had trusted. And while seeing this person at this hotel so many kilometers away, 13 hours away from Kathmandu, felt odd to Radha. There was not much she did about it in the moment. It wasn't like the police was there to help her. She was there alone with Ram and it always seemed like the kidnapping was one that was committed by a gang. This face was that of their old landlord, their daughter's tuition teacher, her husband's friend, Biren Pradhan Shrestha. She told her husband and Ram of the fact that she had possibly seen Biren in the hotel and that it was odd. But they all decided that even if it was Biren who had kidnapped her, the money must be handed over to him to bring Khyati back. That was the most important piece of the puzzle. So Radha did just that. She put the thought of him out of her mind. She had her daughter to get back before she could even think about who did this and what punishment they should face for kidnapping her child. Then, Radha and Ram receive another message. Only Ram was supposed to come and drop off the money. Radha was to stay away. When Ram went over to the assigned spot to drop the money off, a man in disguise was waiting there to collect it. Now, I don't necessarily know what a man in disguise means, but that's what the articles say. I assume it means a man with a face and a head covering a mask of some kind. But despite the disguise, Ram could sense it was Biren, the voice, the stature of his body. Ram was familiar with this man. This man in disguise noticed Ram's suspicions and his hesitation and tried to kidnap Ram. But somehow Ram managed to escape and make a run for it before it was too late. The money had now been dropped off. The next step was to wait. Wait for Khyati. Ram and Radha go back to Kathmandu and they wait and they wait and they wait and they wait. But Khyati never returned. The number from which Khyati's parents were receiving all of those texts was suddenly switched off. No more texts from it, no more calls from it. Now they knew what had happened. The hope of their daughter being alive was bleaker than ever before. If it was just the money they wanted, their daughter would have long come back. This is when the family finally contacted the local police. They narrated the incidents to them, day by day, text by text, and they told the police of their suspicions on their former landlord. And the police acted rather swiftly. They looked up their systems for anything on Bahrain, but nothing popped up. They found his address and showed up to his house, but nobody was there. And his neighbours didn't know where he had been, even for the last few days. But that's how the police's manhunt for Bahrain began. While the cops were out on the streets searching for Bahrain, something rather bizarre started to happen. Calls started coming in to different police stations from across Nepal, each of them reporting the same thing. Pieces of a dead body, dead and decaying, a human body. From some parts of Kathmandu, people reported finding cut-off human feet. From another, they found an arm. No All way. while the police in Kathmandu kept searching for Biren. 
and then 17 days later 17 days after khyati shreshta had disappeared the cops caught biren pradhan they kept grilling and interrogating and pressing him for answers until he finally broke he cried and sobbed and narrated the story of his life yes he was a well to do hard working school teacher but he was also a gambling addict he was in debt from multiple people whose money he had borrowed that he had simply then blown away at casinos in kathmandu his students even revealed he would sometimes speak of his gambling debts with them eventually the amount that he owed to his creditors was so much he had to sell his house in which the shreshthas lived but being in debt didn't stop his gambling habit and selling his house didn't end all of his debt which is when he remembered the shreshthas he remembered the money they had said they were collecting for their daughter's education and he hatched a plan to kidnap her get the money but then also set her free Shortly before the kidnapping Biren had quit his job at the school as a teacher and from his house were found a number of ID cards from different areas of Nepal some even from India indicating that he was maybe planning all of this way in advance and was possibly planning to run away once he got the money from Shreshthas In fact just a week before the kidnapping Biren had visited the Shreshtha household just to drop in and say hi when Gopal revealed to Biren how well Khyati had been doing at her school and how their plan to send her to the US seemed well underway. This meeting this is, so is when the idea struck Biren. But not only had Biren come to that house to say hi and have a chat, but much after the murder, the Shreshthas noticed that a specific photo was missing from the photo album that was kept in their living room. Their only photo with Biren. He had come into their house and snuck the photo out with him. I don't even know why. Possibly out of the fear of being caught more easily and identified if the Shreshthas gave the photo to the cops. But who was the young woman? The woman about Khyati's age who kept making the calls and met up with Khyati the day she disappeared, the police asked. I wondered this. I know you're wondering this. She was a 16-year-old girl named Marina Shakya. Marina was a former student of Biren's from his high school whom he had groomed into having an affair with him. In fact, not just that, but Biren was known to be a rather creepy teacher among the girls back at high school too, which is where he first lay his eyes on Marina. And get this, Marina wasn't just 42-year-old Biren's exploited and groomed 16-year-old love affair. She was also his extramarital affair. Biren was a married man with children of his own, two daughters of his own. His wife had moved to work in Canada the last couple of years with his daughters living with their grandparents. So when he finally hatched the plan to kidnap Khyati, Marina was the girl he needed to make it happen with him. she became his accomplice merina met with khyati at putli street she took her back to the apartment on the 5th of june she invited her in handed over some documents to her fake documents that she asked her to sign and while khyati was looking over the documents suddenly birain appeared birain pretended to be shocked to see khyati there claiming he was involved with the magazine but had no idea that she was the winner that had been selected this time 
somehow the two of them together convinced Khyati to stay longer for an interview that the magazine now suddenly wanted to conduct and offered her a cold drink laced with sedatives which she drank without much resistance because suddenly in this sort of unfamiliar situation was a familiar face she was actually close to what should have been the red flag that tipped her off in a weird way became a sign of comfort and trust Kathy slowly fainted and went unconscious for a few hours. Now, of course, when she woke up, she was terrified. She panicked. She had no recollection of the last few hours. She didn't know why she still wasn't back at her own home. She knew something was wrong. She started to scream and revolt and Birain panicked. He poured some chloroform on a piece of cloth to make her unconscious. No. But Just like Birain's planning at every step of this crime, he executed this part horribly too. Had he just done this part differently, he might have never been reported to the police by the Shreshthas at all. The amount of chloroform he used was more than 45 grams, above the lethal dose for adults. And in the process of trying to sedate her again, he killed her. I don't know Aran if it's less sad or more sad that he killed her by mistake. Ashwarya chloroform was in fact the um go to anesthesia for the longest time because of how easy it is right. to use. It was um it's easy to inhale and easy to use on patients, but the very reason that it was discontinued as the, you know, uh, as an anesthesia was because how easy it is to overdose on it and you know a few grams more like you said right? right just a few grams more can literally kill a person and i don't know if it's less sad or more sad right uh, but it's just unbelievable that somebody so close to her went to such large extents to achieve something so sinister If you think these are the large extents Aryan you're in for a ride with the rest of this episode and for all of our listeners there's absolutely no need to even feel slightly bad for him because he killed her by mistake the moment he realized he had messed up he decided he was going to make sure she wouldn't survive he brought out an iron rod he hit her on the head with repeatedly khyati's body was bleeding profusely He then brought out a chainsaw and in front of 16-year-old Marina began to cut Khyati's body up in 10 different parts to dispose of all over the country so the police would never be able to identify her. He took the 10 cut-up body parts, her arms, her legs, her feet, her hands, her torso, her head and began scattering them all over a 17 km radius around Kathmandu, sometimes in the rivers, sometimes in nearby forests. Khyati's limbs were found by the locals in Chitwan on the 13th of June when someone noticed a leg sticking out of a cardboard box but the cops in Chitwan didn't know whose limbs they were these limbs were sent to and kept in a nearby medical school till the identity of the victim could be discovered her torso was discovered from a river stream near Kathmandu and as for her head the cops were led to the location of her head by Birain He took them to a desolate highway and on the side of the road of that highway the cops found Khyati's severed head in a cardboard box too. 
all of her body parts were in the later stages of decomposition indicating that she had been dead the entire time her family was being made to run around nepal in the hopes of finding their daughter alive and the medical examiner confirmed that The medical examiner also confirmed the multiple blunt force trauma wounds to her head caused by the iron rod. It was also revealed that till Pirain could figure out what he was going to do with the pieces of the dead body, he stored them in his own refrigerator in his own home. The entire reason he made the family run around Nepal was not to evade police and confuse the cops during the money transfer just in case the Shreshthas had involved the police. The reason was to buy more time to be able to figure out how and where to dispose the body. Nepal was taken by storm. This girl was the representation of a progressive young ideal Nepali citizen. The country did not sit back and watch. They protested. People came out on the streets. There were candlelight marches and vigils. Schools shut down for weeks on end as young students refused to go and demanded swift and speedy justice. They demanded the death penalty in unprecedented numbers, not just against Birain, but against his 16-year-old accomplice Marina Shakya too. the public would attack Birain and Marina as they would make their way to the courtroom for their trial because people saw their response as fit especially since the people knew that no matter how much they demanded the death penalty capital punishment was not legal in Nepal despite that the public demanded that the laws be amended and capital punishment be restored just solely because of this case alone the court case was rather swift and very prompt The crime was terribly planned and not only was there a confession from both the murderers there was insurmountable evidence against both of them After just a year long trial Birain was given a sentence of 39 years in prison and Marina actually got 34 years in prison despite not even being an adult I don't know how I feel about the second half of that verdict honestly Marina had told the police that she was threatened into silence she was coerced into the crime but the judge seemed to pay no heed to her arguments I don't know whether that's right or wrong because there's not much information available on how exactly Marina came to be involved in this plan and what specifically was her role in the murder but that doesn't sound right for a 16 year old teenager who was obviously being exploited by her teacher Judge Balendra Rupakheti brought this sensational murder trial to a close with his swooping statements against the actions of the two accused. Soon after the murder trial went public, Birain's wife divorced him and moved on with her life in Canada, far, far away from the devastating actions of the man she must have once been in love with. After his sentence, Birain was housed in Nepal's most notorious prison alongside some of the most notorious criminals in Nepalese history. And one of Birain's prison mates is guess who? Our very own Charles Sobraj. <laughs> 